the holy ones of God can actually be a little difficult to deal with from time to time. We bear with one another because we're family in Christ. But to actually delight in the people of God, well, that can sound like a tall order sometimes. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. And uh, Jonathan, I think you're right about that. <laughs> Sometimes to delight with the people of God can be a, a bit of a challenge here. Uh, but that, I think, is the goal. Uh, when we do struggle with that, though, how do we learn to delight with difficult people? Well, here in the psalm that we're going to be looking at today, delighting in the people of God is one of the marks of the person who finds refuge in the Lord, who trusts in the Lord. And I think the the Lord teaches us over time to look on his people with his perspective as those whom he has saved, as those whom he loves in Christ, as those who are part of his church and part of the body of Christ. And, and the Lord teaches us that over time. And helps us as well, I think, to see the beauty of his work in his people's lives. And of course, we are all works in progress. If we're trusting in Christ, we're those who are being changed by Christ, but are being changed gradually. And uh, we're so grateful that others look on us with the Lord's perspective, too, how we need that grace as well from others. Yeah, I remember hearing a pastor say one time, don't expect God to change people in two weeks when he took 20 years to teach you. And for me, that was such a helpful reminder. Absolutely, absolutely. We need we need that reminder. But the Lord teaches us, I think, over time. Yeah. Well, we're going to look at that today from the book of Psalms. We're in Psalm 16. So grab a Bible, join us there as we begin a message called Taking Refuge in the Lord. Here is Jonathan. Well, if we are sensible people, if we are wise people, we will join with the psalmist and cry out to the Lord as he cries out at the beginning of this psalm, keep me safe, O God. Some of us here in this room will be acutely aware of dangers and challenges that lie before us, concrete perils that we need the Lord to keep us from, to help us through. Others of us, well, we'll have little idea of what might lie before us this year. We're not aware of particular concrete dangers ahead. But we do know, of course, that the future could bring anything to us at any time. As believers, we're aware of how completely we rely on the Lord for His moment-by-moment -moment guidance and grace. And so the psalmist's prayer in verse 1 is our prayer, or at least it should be our prayer as we embark on this new year. It's interesting what the psalmist does in the second half of verse 1 there. Having cried out to the Lord for his help, he then gives the Lord a reason why he should help him. On the surface, it's a bit like what children often do with their parents. Please, can I have that chocolate bar? Please, can I have that extra TV time or, or whatever it is? Please give me this thing for because I've well, I've just cleaned up my room. I've done my homework. Please grant my request, and here is my reason why you should do so. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. 
Well, the psalmist, who is David, according to the heading, David isn't saying that he should receive the Lord's help because he's cleaned his bedroom or done anything morally or ethically good because he's shown good obedience to the Lord. No, no, it's not that. But he is giving the Lord a reason to hear his request. He is calling on the Lord to help him because he is a person who has taken refuge in the Lord. He is a member, if you like, of the Lord's covenant community. He is one of the Lord's people. And David knows the Lord. And David knows that the Lord is someone who is committed to protecting such people. He knows that his God is a God of faithfulness to his people, a God of mercy to those who call on him. And what David goes on to do now for the rest of the psalm is to pour out his heart before the Lord. He speaks of his reliance on the Lord and his delight in the Lord. And as David pours out his heart, he shows us today what it looks like to be a person who does that thing mentioned in the second half of verse 1, who takes refuge in the Lord. He says to the Lord, you're my everything. You are my all in all. All my eggs are in this one basket. Protect me, O Lord, because my everything is in you. Just look how he articulates this hard attitude. Notice how he lays it out there in verse 2. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I may be set apart as the king of Israel. I may be destined to rule, but none of this is anything without you. It's wise for us to say, Lord, help me. Lord, keep me safe. Lord, protect me. Preserve my life. It is wise. It is prudent for us to do that. But it is also right at the very same time for us to ask, am I the kind of person the Lord helps? Am I living as one who takes refuge in Him? As I cry out to God for safety, can I really say with David, you are my Lord, and apart from you, I have no good thing. In the words of David's declaration in this psalm, we have a window into the heart of the true believer, the person who finds confidence, delight, his all in all, her all in all, in the Lord Himself. Here is a window into the heart of the person who takes refuge in God. You can tell quite a lot about a person by their tastes, what they enjoy, what they prize, what they value. In some societies, you can actually place a person's social background and their upbringing pretty precisely by some of the choices they make about aesthetic things. So, for example, it's a well-known fact in England that the aristocracy have this most incomprehensible taste in socks. Maybe you've encountered this if you spend any time in England, but look out for it. If you see someone, you know, on the tube in London wearing a sensible suit and sensible shoes, but then you notice that there are bright pink and green socks just peeking out there, you know pretty much for certain that their blood runs blue. <laughs> Closer to home, a 2015 study at the University of British Columbia found that a, a person's educational background and social background had a huge impact on their musical taste. On the basis of a pretty large survey at UBC, they found that the wealthier and better educated tended to prefer jazz and classical. The less well-off, the less educated liked heavy metal and easy listening and things like that. 
Another study led by a Cambridge University professor has found that our musical tastes say something significant, not about our, our education, but about our personality. Apparently, highly empathetic people like kind of mellow music, music that evokes deep emotions as you listen to it. Well, people who are systematizers and who like patterns, well, they prefer more intense music with more complex sounds. What we take pleasure in, what we delight in, can perhaps say something about us. And here in Psalm 16, we see what the true believer, the one who has found refuge in God, we see what that person delights in, what he takes pleasure in. And the portrait here, it has an awful lot to teach us. The person who takes refuge in God delights, first of all, in the Lord's people, verse 3. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones, in whom is all my delight. Now, I wonder what you make of that sentiment. It would sound natural enough to speak of the Lord being our delight, God Himself, but for the Lord's people, those who have been made holy by Jesus, cleansed by His blood, those who have a share in the heavenly inheritance, who belong in that eternal land, the saints who are in the land, well, for the saints to be our delight. Now, that is another thing altogether. That's a different thing. If we've spent time with other Christians, if we have experience of church life, then we know that the saints can bring us joy as well as pain. The holy ones of God can actually be a little difficult to deal with from time to time. We invest in relationships in church because we know they're important. We bear with one another because we're family in Christ. But to actually delight in the people of God, well, that can sound like a tall order sometimes. And no doubt it was for David, too. He knew the frustrations of sin and betrayal, even from the people of God. But nonetheless, he insists there is reason to delight in the people of God. He insists, verse 3, that they are the glorious ones. There is something intrinsically wonderful, says David, about the people of God. And to see why that's the case, it helps us to look on to the continuation of his thought there in verse 4, where really he paints a contrast with the saints of God. Verse 4, notice it with me. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. As he delights in the people of God, David turns his mind's eye to the surrounding peoples, to those around, to those who worship not the Lord, but the idols of the nations, who run hurriedly and frenetically after those other gods. And he sees in them, and he sees in their pattern of life, a way of misery. He sees that their sorrows are actually great and will only increase as time goes by. And as he looks out on the nations pursuing all their various other gods, their idols, pouring out their libations of blood, calling on names that have no power to save, no power to help, David sees, by contrast, that the people of God are glorious. He sees that safety is found in their company. He delights in the saints whom the Lord has placed around him. It's interesting to reflect on that. And as I reflect on it, it strikes me that David's example 
here reminds us that as believers, there is something right and natural about us finding our deepest relationships, our truest friendships among the people of God. Now, that's not to say we, we don't have friendships with others. Of course not. Jesus modeled engagement with unbelievers. He had enough to do with the unbelievers of His day that He was at least open to the accusation that He was a friend of tax collectors and of sinners. Now, we're not meant to retreat into some kind of holy huddle and live in a kind of carefully sealed-off Christian subculture and bubble. No, we need to prize friendships with, with others in the community, and of course we pray that the Lord might use those friendships in time to commend the gospel. But all that having been said, I think we shouldn't be surprised if there is a distance between us and our unbelieving friends and family. You see, those who don't know and don't trust the Lord Jesus Christ as we do, they are seeking refuge in other gods. They may not be offering libations of blood, whatever that would have looked like in the pagan cultures around Israel in, in David's day, but even if they don't adhere to a different religious system, they are running after other gods. They are pursuing the common idols of the world, the idols of money, sex, and power. And as we spend time with our unbelieving friends, we, we will find a tug on our hearts if we're not careful We'll find ourselves regretting that they're making progress in those pursuits, that they're enjoying the fruit of some of them in a, in a way that the believer may not and will not. And our danger will be, our constant danger, that we're tempted to join in, that we'll enter the competition, that we run after the idols with them. And the psalmist reminds us of the sorrow that comes from pursuing those idols of the nations. And, and as he sees the darkness of that, he then sees more clearly the beauty of the saints of God. He sees the glory and the excellence of a people redeemed from idolatry, set free to worship the true and the living God, and he sees the attractiveness of a group of people, a society that is set apart for the Lord and that is delighting in Him. Now, all of this is part and parcel of what it means to take refuge in God, as we see in verse 1. See, there's, there's safety to be found in the people of God. Those who take refuge in the Lord will be those who take delight in His saints. None of us will escape the dangers of idolatry if we try and go it alone as Christians. We're just not up to doing that on our own. We need to encourage one another even daily to lift our eyes from the idols of the world and to live for something different. And if our deepest friendships and closest relationships are with those who are actually pulling in another direction, if we have little delight in the people of God and little time for the people of God, well, we'll find ourselves very isolated and very vulnerable. It's a fascinating value judgment that David makes in verse 3 when he calls the saints of God, the people of God, the glorious ones. I don't think that's an obvious judgment to make. For much of Israel's history, the people of Israel, they looked weak, they looked downtrodden, divided, and pretty doomed. The Egyptians or the Assyrians or the Babylonians in whatever age we're talking about, they probably would have looked like the glorious ones to the onlookers. In the days of Jesus' earthly ministry, well, His people didn't look all that glorious either. A ragged bunch of fishermen and social outcasts, little value in the eyes of the world. Then think of the apostles themselves, think of Paul, shipwrecked, imprisoned, all the rest. 
And then think of the church today. We're pretty ordinary, most of us, not impressive in the eyes of the world, weak and sinful, feeble and flawed. Surely glory is found in the leaders of society out there, the, the wealthy, the, the clever, the influential, the powerful, the fashionable, the famous. Most of us, we don't tick too many of those boxes. But you see, David's tastes have been attuned to the tastes of God Himself. His worldview has been reshaped by the Word of God. His value system has been recalibrated by the experience of God's grace. And he sees now through the eyes of faith that the people of God are truly, wonderfully glorious. And of course, it is a mark of Christian maturity for us to see that as well in our day, to see the glory of a life that has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, that is being changed by the Spirit of Jesus, so that each day that life looks a little bit more like Jesus. The glory, perhaps, of a not very educated or clever person who, by the grace of God and through the gospel of Jesus Christ, has come to understand what the world's philosophers have not seen and will not understand. The glory of a people who may not be very wealthy and who, in any case, are sacrificially giving away their money to the work of the gospel, but who have eternal riches that the wealthy of this world they know nothing about the glory of a gathering of people who shouldn't have all that much in common, who shouldn't perhaps get along with one another all that well, but who have discovered that they are brothers and sisters in Christ. As for the saints who are in the land, says David, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths and a message called Taking Refuge in the Lord. It's a message taken from Psalm 16, and it's the first in a series we're calling Songs of the Heart. And if you want to make sure that you don't miss any future broadcast in the series, of course, you can catch it by listening to the radio. But you can also listen to each and every program online when you come to our website. It is EncounterTheTruth.org, and you can stream the program or download an MP3. And whether you listen online or on the radio, it's all made possible because of your generosity. I want to say thank you to those who are giving and supporting this ministry. And if you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to say thank you by sending you a devotional book. It's called Hope in the Face of Suffering, written by Jeremy Marshall, who was diagnosed with incurable cancer. And this is his devotional book helping us look at principles that he has learned through his own experience holding out the message of hope in the Bible as we face incredible suffering in our lives. We'd love to send you a copy of this book. as our way of saying thanks for your support. You can find out more or give your gift online when you come to EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 833-99-TRUTH. Again, that's EncounterTheTruth.org or 833-998-7884. All right, back to the message. Here is Jonathan. The one who takes refuge in God finds his delight in the people of God. Next, the one who takes refuge in God delights in the provision of God. Verse 5, Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup, or more likely, as most translations have it, Lord, you are my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful 
inheritance. Here the psalmist looks at his needs, his physical needs for food and drink and a home to live in. Perhaps those things have come to mind, actually, as he's given thought to the people of the nations running after their various idols. Perhaps those needs come to mind for us as we think of friends and family and neighbors running after food and home and financial security, striving for those things. And the psalmist says to the Lord, you, Lord, are my great treasure, my great belonging. In you is found the provision of all my needs. If you read any poll of people's top fears and concerns for the future, even for the new year, financial uncertainty normally ranks very, very high. Many people have embarked on 2019 with fears for their savings and their investments, with clouds looming on the global horizon and all the rest. But while the world looks on anxiously at the financial future, the psalmist commends to us a different perspective, a different approach for the believer. He shows us from his heart that the Lord is everything to him. And as he looks at what the Lord has done for him, he sees that the Lord has made his lot secure. He sees that in God he has a delightful inheritance. The reality is, of course, that we will never know true peace when it comes to finances, when it comes to material things, until we really have made the Lord our everything, until we are delighting most of all and above all things in our eternal inheritance in Christ. Our world it will always tell us that we need more than we have. If you have an accountant or a financial advisor, they'll probably tell you on every visit that you should be saving more for your retirement, for the kids' education, you should be putting in place more of a buffer. But as believers, you see, we do the crazy thing of giving away money. It's ridiculous. We give to the Lord's work, even as common sense says, stash it away, put it in place as a buffer for the future. For many here in this room, your giving to the work of the gospel would look reckless to the world. Surely your pension fund, it needs that. Surely your kids' education plan could do with a top-up. And we'll never escape that sense of needing to accumulate more and protect ourselves materially. We'll never escape that sense until we learn to truly delight in the Lord and in His provision for us. Verse 6 evokes an image of land division in ancient Israel, where each tribe was given a portion of land, and then that was divided among families to be handed down from one generation to the next as an inheritance that came from the Lord. Similar imagery was actually coming to mind for me just the other day as we drove along the, the 401 next to the St. Lawrence. And if you look at some old maps from the 18th and 19th century, you'll see that the land along the St. Lawrence was often broken up into tiny little strips given out to settlers to farm and to make something of it. And there would be these straight boundary lines along the edge of each parcel of land extending north from the river. And I think that's the picture here as the people of God we know that our inheritance isn't ultimately a piece of real estate, but it is a home in heaven. It is a place in the new creation that God has prepared for His people. And we know that as the children of God, we have a delightful inheritance before us, a better home than any here on earth could enjoy. We don't see and believe that the Lord is our everything, that He has prepared an inheritance for us, if we don't take refuge in Him and His all-sufficient eternal provision, provision in this life and the next, we will live in constant fear.
of the material and the financial unknown. We'll constantly worry that our needs will not be met. And we'll pray the prayer of verse 1 with anxiety rather than faith if we pray it at all. But the one who takes refuge in God, well, such a one delights in the Lord's provision. Jonathan Griffiths here on Encounter the Truth, a message called Taking Refuge in the Lord. And we have to pause the teaching right here, but we'll continue next time. Hope you make it a point to tune in. If you ever miss a broadcast, you can always come to the website and listen online. It's EncounterTheTruth.org. You can stream the program or download an MP3 for free. Again, that's at EncounterTheTruth.org. And while you're there, I hope you'll consider giving a gift of support because that is how we stay on this station. We're able to bring you Jonathan's teaching each day because of your generosity. You can find out more about supporting this ministry and give your gift online at EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 833-99-TRUTH. Well, thanks for listening today. For Jonathan and for our producer, Mark Breda, I'm Steve Hiller, and I hope you'll join us next time.